your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everyone, welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, thank you for making Locked On Winnipeg Jets your first listen of the day every day. If you like us, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Megaphone, Odyssey, and YouTube. We love and appreciate your support, and thank you for listening once again. On tonight's podcast, uh, I've struggled to think about how to talk about everything that has kind of unfolded over the last uh, 30 or so hours. I know that I talked about Shovel Day Off yesterday uh, in respect to the Chicago Blackhawks sexual assault case, and of course I'm going to attach content warnings because more details have come out, and I think a lot of it is really important to discuss, as well as some of the troubling thoughts that are are currently really surfacing out and, and some of the stuff that seems likely to happen with Winnipeg over the next week or so. Again, I am putting up the trigger warnings. I'm not going to talk about the case in explicit detail, but I am going to talk around some of the content and certainly some of the allegations and stuff, so if if you're sensitive to that, just be aware. It is going to be for the next couple of segments. At the end of the show, uh, there is some hockey discussion. Obviously, the Jets have the LA Kings coming up, and uh, I got to speak with our wonderful Locked On LA Kings affiliate, Sarah Avampato, to kind of discuss some of the stuff heading into that matchup and what we might expect from LA this year. But first, I really wanted to discuss uh, the Chicago situation because, I mean, if you could imagine some of the stuff that's happened over the last day or so, it's just, honestly, it's a little bit hard to put into words. And the long and short of it is that one of the victims actually stepped forward and identified himself in part because his identity was basically known already. Um, you know, thanks to the details that were leaked out of the situation and and certainly published in the report, everyone kind of knew who it was. And this player was Kyle Beach, who very courageously stepped forward and and told his story to Rick Westhead today of uh, TSN. It's a 25-minute interview, and um, if you can watch it, I highly recommend that you should. It's it's a very powerful testimony. I did not make it through without crying. It's it's extremely disturbing, upsetting, and I think it, it puts a really human spotlight on what is the core issue that is, is at the center of all of this. And it's that there are several victims in this situation, and, and certainly inside the Blackhawks and outside. I mean, uh, what Aldrich did carried over to some of his other places of employment before he was arrested. And so yeah, what Beach kind of told us was the, the Hawks and everyone in that team, aside from a handful of people... Most of the team basically hung him out to dry, said his allegations had no merit, and made him feel very small. And this is an extremely common tactic when you're dealing with a team or an organization that has some sort of sexual assault, abuse, um, certainly an abuse of power allegation. Anything of that sort of nature is often weaponized against employees. And the same thing happened to Kyle. And it's especially troubling because, you know, all of these people knew about it and they basically covered it up or if they knew about it and didn't necessarily participate directly in the cover-up, they knew enough to walk away. And they delegated responsibility to somebody else thinking that would be enough. 
And I think when it comes to Kevin Shovel Day Off, that's kind of the issue that I have, right? I know that Shovel Day Off may not be the person who was most directly responsible for this case. He would have been considered one of the more junior members of, of the staff that was available in that meeting. But the reality is this. When you pass something up the chain of command, oftentimes it, it can be minimized. You might not receive the exact details. Or if it actually is portrayed or even relayed properly, the executive level decision makers may still opt to do nothing. And in this case, you know, Stan Bowman and his staff basically made the choice to do nothing or at least postpone any sort of action until after the Stanley Cup run. You know, you, you saw Quenville's quotes about it being a distraction and there being no way that they could deal with this before the team got through the postseason, which is shocking to me. I mean, it's it sounds like just about everyone in the room, certainly among the players, knew that it was happening. I mean, they were calling Beach homophobic slurs and using language and stuff that was completely unacceptable and used to deride and bully him the entire time. And then some of the staff members inside the organization basically blamed Beach and said, it's your fault. You know, you put yourself in this position. This happened to you. And they said this because they wanted to defend their colleagues. They wanted to protect them and avoid any sort of liabilities. You make your uh, your victim psychologically feel smaller so that they don't put up resistance. It's this a very classic intimidation technique, something that we often see, and it's really meant to paint the victim as some sort of villain in their own tragedy. And it's it's a horrible tactic, and really it exposes just how rotten the Chicago uh, you know, front office staff and everyone involved in this case truly was. What is even more baffling, though, is today, and actually just within the past hour, a number of players were interviewed about this, including Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, both basically denied any real knowledge of it during the time that it happened, which, based on other Blackhawks who were on the team at the time, it's not true. Everyone seemed to know about it. And if you're the captain of the room, Taves had to have known about it. There's no way that he couldn't have. It's just impossible that they didn't know. I mean, you had to know. Kane probably knew. Taves knew. It sounds like just about everyone in the locker room knew, to some extent. Or at least enough to target Beach or, or even isolate him. You know, whatever the situation was, it sounds like it was an open secret. And so, for all of this to come out and for the team and the players to still say stuff like, Stan Bowman was a wonderfully important person to me, you know, I, I don't know that he would have done this, or, you know, this isn't the Stan Bowman I know. It's incredible, really, that they still stick to this narrative. After everything that has come out of the investigation, from the investigators that the team hired, you still choose to defend these people, and it's just, for me, it's baffling. I don't care how well you know these people. I, I saw a really interesting quote on Twitter about... Anthony Bourdain when the Mario Balotelli stuff came out. Anthony immediately severed that relationship and said, you know, I, I choose to stand with the victims. And, uh, you know, it's it's crazy that you see these hockey players who are going through the same thing. Their own teammate was abused, and yet they still take the side of the organization, which it, it, for me, it's just, it's unbelievable, but it's not really surprising. I mean, a lot of people talk about toxic hockey culture, and this is a really clear example. I mean, this is like protectionism and, and certainly the insular nature of the community going to work and really shielding people who do not deserve to be shielded and should be brought to justice. This all then kind of ties back into what I want to talk about next, which is what do the Jets do with Kevin Shebodayoff? Knowing what we know now, and certainly uh, the conversation that's going to be had between Bettman, uh, Chipman, and Shebodayoff next week, what is the path forward from here? Before we move on, though, I did want to tell you a little bit about Built Bar and shout out our wonderful sponsors there and tell you a little bit about why you should be enjoying the best protein bar on the market. 
Are you someone who loves protein bars? Are you tired of all of your favorite protein bars tasting like ash and dirt? Maybe you're ready for a change. And as a fellow protein bar appreciator, I can tell you that Built Bar is your best alternative. It's the only protein bar that tastes more like a candy bar, with a 100% chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. It comes in several delicious flavors like salted caramel, orange, cookies and cream, German chocolate, and so many other great flavors. Built Bar often releases very special, limited edition, limited quantity flavors that once they're gone, they're gone for good, so stay tuned to their social media platforms and their website to make sure you never miss another flavor. As delicious as Built Bars are, they're even better for you, with most bars clocking in at around 130 to 180 calories, 4 to 5 grams of net carbs, and 17 to 18 grams of protein. Built Bars are perfect for every lifestyle, whether you're looking to maintain or lose weight. Placing your order couldn't be easier. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that is promo code LOCKED15 at checkout for 15% off at Built.com. Place your order today for the best tasting protein bar on the market. Hey everyone, welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day every day. Like I mentioned previously, I do have to attach a content warning to this next segment. It does deal with sexual assault. Uh, If you listen to the first part, you understand that we're not going to talk too deeply into the details of the specific case, but mostly the circumstances around it and certainly the aftermath. And I wanted to move into the discussion around Kevin Shoveldayoff because there's additional nuance to it that I think a lot of people have really struggled with. Uh, Certainly, a lot of people, I I said on Twitter that I think Shoveldayoff needs to go. And a lot of people were like, well, slow down. You know, we we need to know the facts of the case. We need to establish what steps he took. And, and ultimately, what was his role in the situation? A lot of people read the report, and I think they looked at it at a very surface level. The thing that is extremely complicated when you deal with a case like this is, aside from the severity and the nature of the allegations, you're also dealing with a case that was 10 years ago and relies on witness testimony, which testimony from 10 years ago in a court of law or a civil suit it's very difficult to prove anything out of that. You would need a a preponderance of evidence to kind of rule either way. And there's just not a lot to go on. You know, a lot of the people who were interviewed had differing accounts of the same situation. Some people didn't quite have the timeline right. Shoveldayoff thought it was during one series when it was actually at another point during the playoff run. And so it's, it's obviously a very complicated process. But what kind of stuck out to me was that, you know, everyone had this version of events where some people were throwing some of their other colleagues under the bus. Um, and Shovel Day Off, for his part, was mentioned frequently, but he didn't seem to have as active a role in the whole process, which makes me wonder why he was included in the meeting to begin with. Now, it did involve a player from the AHL team, the Rockford Icehogs. Uh, Beach was called up at the time for the playoffs. He was considered one of the squadron's black aces. So, I feel like this might have been part of it, and I don't know the full level of Chevaldeoff's involvement with the the front office for Chicago at this time, but basically he was one of the people who were considered important enough to be included on this meeting. So in that regard, I kind of put him in at least a higher level of decision makers, even if he wasn't considered the number one person. I think people are, are accurate that we do need to wait for the full situation to be revealed and certainly all of the facts to be established, but the thing about this is, the investigation was already done. So any additional investigation probably isn't going to happen. I don't think that they're really going to dig into Shovel Day Off. I can't imagine that the Jets are going to be doing a lot. I'd be surprised if they hired a private investigator to go through all of this. And what kind of leads me to that assumption is that there was an article from Mike McIntyre earlier today talking about basically True North is going to stand behind Shovel Day Off unless something comes out during the Bettman meeting that 
you know, they can't really ignore. And for me, I'm, I'm very troubled by this because I feel like by association already, it's, it's a bad look for the organization. The Jets already have to know that this is going to be a very ugly situation if they side with Shovel Day off. I know that oftentimes organizations will defend, you know, quote, end quote, their guys, but this is a sensitive situation where the allegations and the severity and the fact that the private investigators basically corroborated a lot of it, for me, makes the decision very clear. Whether Shovel Dayoff had a part in the decision-making process or not, he was one of the people who was privy to it, and even if he delegated it as he should in like a hierarchical organization or something, that he was very quiet on this for almost a decade, and the fact that it basically never got out, for me, feels like it's a guilt of a different kind. You know, you might not be somebody who was the person to say, let's bury it at that time, right? But by not actively doing anything else and basically passing it off to another person and then leaving the organization and not really revealing this at all either. For me, I have a lot of mixed feelings about it. I mean, I really don't understand how you could keep this quiet for so long when, you know, Kyle was suffering. There was another unnamed victim who was suffering. You've had some of the minors who were assaulted at Aldrich's next school. And I I think that's what I can't really get past. You know, whether Shevel Dayoff in his statement lied or not, I don't really know for certain. I feel like he didn't really establish the entire nature of what he knew or how he knew it, in part because that was more or less disclosed in the in the report that was presented, but I'm just really struggling with this. I feel like this is a situation where, even if you think he wasn't entirely guilty, he bears enough responsibility that there's not really any other alternative other than to fire him. Mike, though, seems to suspect the team is going to stand behind Shovel Day off for the time being, and then, you know, pending the results of the investigation, or at least the discussion that they have with Bettman on Monday, you know, it, it might just be business as usual. Maybe there's some kind of a short-term suspension, but then after that, it's back to the usual grind. And I I just, I have a really difficult time with this. I know that we're not supposed to allow emotions to rule very specific judicial or civil court cases and decisions that are very much impacting the lives of others. But for me, listening to Kyle's story, I just, I can't get past it. And I have a hard time dealing with this, this notion that at the end of the day, Shovel Day Off may be one of the few people who kind of walks away without consequences. I mean, Joel Quenville, who advocated for burying this until after the postseason, he coached tonight for the Panthers, and this came out before he was back on the bench. If that is the bar that we're dealing with right now, I just don't really know how Shovel Day Off is really going to be fired. I feel like that has to happen, but, you know, the world of hockey and the NHL is so frustrating in that it just feels like so often... People can commit some horrible, horrible crimes and end up walking away scot-free or with minimal consequences. I don't think that's the situation with Chevy, but whether knowingly or unknowingly, he was partly complicit in this whole process and his silence and his lack of action, whether intentional or not, has had profound impacts on the entire case. And it just can't be ignored, and I think that that's why, for me, Shovel Day Off does have to be let go. I don't know if True North is going to feel that way, but we're going to find out after the meeting on Monday and over the next couple of weeks as the Jets frankly have to decide what to do. It's now a question of what you believe is morally right and the correct thing to do, and I can't tell you what the very clear answer is. I don't think that there is in this situation. I think it's a very morally questionable area. I think that there is a difficult decision to make. 
But for me personally, I think the decision has to be that Shovel Day Off is gone. I'd be curious to know what you feel about this situation, and if you want to talk about it, you know, you can always reach out to my direct messages. Uh, hit me up at HLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter if you want to talk about it. My, uh, my DMs and stuff are always open, so feel free to reach out. Obviously, this is a very actively developing situation, so as we continue to learn more details, I'll talk about it, you know, and, and certainly... Winnipeg's perspective and how we might deal with this going forward. But for the last few minutes, I did want to pivot and actually talk about some Jets hockey just because it is coming up and I know a lot of people probably don't care and don't want to watch it. But for those of you who are still watching, I thought I would get some perspectives on the LA Kings, uh, one of Winnipeg's upcoming opponents, and what we might expect when the Jets face LA. Before we move on though, I thought you should hear about why BetOnline.ag should be the only place you do your online betting. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, BetOnline continues to be the number one source for everything football. Into another sport? No problem. BetOnline has your back with European football, soccer, NASCAR, MLS, MLB, NBA, every kind of sport imaginable is at your fingertips. Go to betonline.ag on your laptop or mobile device and sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your very first deposit. Don't forget to use our promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From all your favorite sports right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the safest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action, so start your winning path today. Sign up for a free account at betonline.ag and don't forget promo code LOCKEDON at registration. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hello all, and welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Before we uh, move on to talking about uh, the LA Kings and, and speaking with Sarah Avampato of Locked on Kings about what we might expect from LA this year, I did want to highly encourage you, if you wanted to learn more about the Chicago case and everyone who has been covering it, be sure to check out Locked on NHL, Locked on Blackhawks, Locked on Canadians, Locked on Panthers in the near future, and uh, all of our affiliate networks. A lot of folks have had some very good thoughts. I highly recommend that you check them out. But with that, actually, we are welcoming one of our wonderful affiliate show hosts, Sarah Avampato of Locked On LA Kings. Uh, Sarah is actually here to tell us a little bit about the LA Kings and what we might expect from them as the Jets have to match up against this team, I think at least a couple of times this year. This is from a larger interview that we just had earlier today, and I believe the full interview will be posted on the Locked On LA Kings show. Uh, This one is just a snippet from the end because I feel like y'all already know where the Jets stand, and we actually are more interested in finding out about our opponents in LA. Without further ado, here is Sarah with some really good insights into the LA Kings. I will turn it over to you. What questions about the Kings do you have? What will help you uh, and uh, Jets fans get ready to, you know, <laughs> endure this game? I guess the big question for me with this this Kings team is kind of what is the storyline of their season? Uh, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what their what their goal is. Mm-hmm. They're they're like decent enough to maybe push for like the number three spot in the Pacific because that division right now is like a total trash heap. So. It, it's it's a team that feels like it's stuck in between rebuilding and not really being anywhere close to competitive. What do you think is like their storyline or their goal this year? Yeah. And I, I think that my answer to this was different about, you know, three weeks ago than it is today. Um, because at, at the beginning of the season, you know, if you look at all the hockey stats, metrics, fancy numbers, people, they're all like, yeah, no, this team is still basically a lottery team. But if you talk to people who like observe the team and who cover it and 
who, who actually endure watching every Kings game, they're like, no, this team could compete for a playoff spot. Like you said, in a division that is just a hot mess, uh, especially with Vegas getting off to a slow start, it kind of opens up anything in the Pacific. Um, but then very quickly, uh, in the preseason, Quentin Byfield, who is one of the you know, the Kings kind of prized prospect, uh, broke his ankle in the final preseason game. Um, Andreas Athanasiu, who had been really good in terms of depth scoring, uh, was hurt during the preseason. Leah Anderson, who was developing really good chemistry on kind of our third line, again, being someone who we hoped could provide some of that depth scoring, uh, got hurt with a lower body injury and he is out. Uh, and then Drew Doughty uh, earlier uh, last week uh, was uh, hit in the game against the Dallas Stars, and now he is hurt. And then in the Kings' last game, Sean Walker, Sean Walker, another defenseman on the right side, uh, also fell and his legs went in directions that legs don't go in. Uh, so he is out. And so this has gone from a team where I'm like, okay, like we can at least make some noise. Maybe they'll be bad, but they'll be fun bad, to now being a team where I'm like, so what's – what's the draft situation like? What's who are our top prospects this year? Um, it has just kind of quickly spiraled out of control. And it's very frustrating because this season in the off season, like Rob Blake, you know, the GM of the Kings actually went out and did something he usually doesn't do, which is he brought in established players from outside. He signed Phil Deneau in free agency. He traded for Victor Arvidsson. Uh, they brought on Alex Edler, who I was really skeptical about, but he has been really solid on the blue line, um, slow, but you can tell that he still knows the game. Um, and it was sort of a sign from the front office and management to say, yeah, okay, like we're, we're ready to take the next, next step and we believe in you and we're going to invest in you. And then now everyone is hurt and they have won one game. So I don't know what this team is anymore because they're all injured. <laughs> kind of funny there's like a i have a favorite soccer team that i follow from germany uh football for all of you purists out there um <laughs> but you see dortmund kind of the same situation where like they they had such a bright season and all these acquisitions and all of a sudden like half of the team is just dead now mm-hmm. everyone's on injured reserve or sick um some funny quotes one of the coach actually said something like yeah our our backup striker he has a stomach infection so when he's off the toilet you know, then he'll yeah. return to the lineup, but I'm just like, oh, okay. Great. Um, cool. So that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. So you kind of feel like the Kings with the Kings, it feels like they don't even have like any real backups. I mean, they're, who are they even turning to? Is it like basically half the rain now or. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's sort of the, the picture I'm getting at this point. Um, They do have Olimata on the blue line who is bad. Um, So I don't, I, that's useless. Um, Austin Strand is kind of a promising younger defenseman. Uh, he's spent most of his time in the AHL, but he kind of got, he got his NHL debut last season and has been really one of the, if not the best defenseman on the reign. And I was really excited to see him caught up because I think that he is an NHL level player. Just wish it wasn't under these circumstances. Uh, they do have a very young blue line in the AHL. Uh, the guy that they had been kind of counting on as being their like the, their tweener guy, uh, Christian Olanen, uh, got claimed on waivers by Buffalo because they just so happened to put him on waivers the same day that Buffalo had one of their defensemen get injured and realized they needed another defenseman. So he was the Kings' backup plan for at least having a NHL experienced, you know, decent defenseman to call up, and now he's sitting in Buffalo doing nothing, um, which stinks. But yeah, there's not especially on, on defense, there is not a whole lot of 
experience left to call up. Uh, it was a very young blue line as it is. And there's a lot of promise on the guys in the AHL, but most of them aren't ready. Uh, or the team is like, maybe we don't call you up to make your NHL de- debut under these like really dire circumstances. Yeah. I, I, I mean, people kind of joke about like next man up and it's like, well, you know, at a certain point there is no one else coming right. up. So um, <laughs> yeah, you know, can Jonathan quick play on the blue line? You know, is that a thing that he can do? Um, I mean, maybe he, it'd be really funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> depending on the team that he plays, he might just get in a fight, which I think would really be exciting for fans, at least. I would watch that. <laughs> yeah, I'd super pay to watch that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The Kings, uh, I mean, at least Anze Kopitar is still amazing. And that dude just seemingly defies father mm-hmm. time and, and keeps on keeping on. And he has a cool dog. So, you yeah, know, double very cool Kopitar yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's great all around. And it's one of those things that always entertains me whenever it's like, I can tell when people don't pay any attention to the Kings because they're like, wow, Kopitar's still good. I'm like, yeah, he is like, I don't, he, he's basically still the best player on this team. And like that's not like, <laughs> right. Like he's never stopped. Like, and that's not like a slight, it's not like, oh, everyone else on this team is terrible. You could put him on any team and he's going to be one of, if not the team's best player. Like he's just perfect. <laughs> We all love and respect Anze here. <laughs> I just wish someone other than him would score goals. Yeah, I mean, the ghost of Dustin Brown can probably uh, chip in one or two goals when he's healthy. Yeah, they usually like bounce off his like butt. So doesn't matter how, just matters how many. Exactly. Awesome. Well, I'm I, saying that I'm looking forward to this is probably not a true statement because the Kings have been so frustrating to me that I just sort of watch every game with fear. And I feel like Connor Hellebuck has in general kind of had the Kings number over his career. I didn't look up the numbers to back that up, but it's just the feeling that I get. So this game could go any way. What is your prediction for how you think this game is going to end? Uh, oh gosh. Um, well, I, I guess like five, three <laughs> Jets over Kings, maybe. I don't know. This this Jets team is really hard to figure out. Uh, some games where I feel like, oh, you know, this is actually a real challenge. Winnipeg is like, nah, just kidding. We're going to generally control play. Um, or if they're facing a rebuilding team, it's just like, hey, we forgot how to play hockey. So yeah, I, I'm going to say five, three Jets. It could honestly end up anyway. I mean, I think the funniest thing was watching the Jets blow uh, the lead against the wild and then losing overtime. So we've already hit some really funny lows. I mean, it, it can't get much worse. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we're, we're kind of in the same boat. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited to see really just how funny this game can get. I think that's my, my main takeaway from all this is maybe I'll just be entertained. Yeah. And after the week, the Jets have had, I think a, a little bit of the laughter could be used. Yeah, exactly. That's, I think that's a good note to, uh, to, to end the preview on is let's just all, find something to laugh about for people who want to hear more about the jets or follow along with uh, the pain uh, that goes along with that where can they find you and your show they can find me at ho living loco and at lo underscore winnipeg jets for the locked on winnipeg jets podcast awesome and locked on kings of course is at locked on la kings on the twitters uh, available wherever you get your podcasts and i am on twitter at right said sarah where i mostly just yell about things so 
With that, I wanted to thank you all for listening. Uh, Thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us. That will do it for tonight's episode. Thanks for making Locked On Winnipeg Jets your first listen of the day every day. Now make your second listen Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Host Scott Collin leans on his decades of fantasy hockey insight and experience every day to help you be the expert of your fantasy league. It's free and available on all your favorite podcasting platforms. As always, thank you for listening, thank you for your support, and have a great night.